Hello and welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy and National Security Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Highland. This week, my colleague Jane Nakano talks with Professor Kochiro Tanaka to talk about Japan's energy security. For decades, energy security has been an important driver in Japan's development of its energy policies. The role that the Middle East, especially with developments in Iran, are important to how Japan perceives its energy and what sort of future it looks for. Professor Tanaka is professor at Keio University. Jane recorded this episode while in Tokyo for meetings earlier in June. Let's turn it over to her now. So, Professor Tanaka, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. Japan is relatively poor in its natural resources, including energy. The Japanese government has taken various uh, measures and actions to uh, strengthen its sense of energy security uh, for the last couple of decades. But what role uh, does the Middle East play, in your view, to uh, enhance Japan's uh, energy security? Traditionally, we've been uh, relying on their hydrocarbon energy resources, initially oil, and then from the 1990s onwards, especially when it comes to LNG natural gas, uh, a country like Qatar became one of our major uh, LNG um, suppliers. So um, that's sort of the traditional way that we see it. Now, um, as for their part, I believe that they're also in need to find a secure customer which I mean, Japan was and also we hope to be. The problem here is the issue about um, global warming and all these climate change issues. They are also in trouble. They may see that in the future their hydrocarbon uh, resources may not be as useful as it used to be. So uh, they need to change their way of their business. We are trying to promote uh, an idea of um, using hydrogen as in the medium so that they can actually still use uh, their hydrocarbon resources. And that's the way we see it. And we're trying to support them in their technological advancement. And so it's sort of a a win-win condition that we're trying to form uh, forge with them. Um, It's going to be a long process. It's never that easy. We're moving from that sort of a traditional one-sided, I mean, supplier-customer relationship to a sort of a win-win situation that we would provide technology, they would be able to use their hydrocarbon resources and convert them into hydrogen and other resources. So that's the way we see it as of today of the Middle East. In a way that the ties between uh, Japan and uh, major um, hydrocarbon supplier countries in Middle East are becoming more multifaceted. So right. it's beyond sort of oil, gas, mm-hmm. uh, trade relationship and it's becoming much more uh, uh, robust mm-hmm. economic engagement. That's interesting. And what are some of the major countries in the Middle East mm-hmm. that Japan seeks to continue or perhaps enhance its ties mm-hmm. with? Well, basically, we would like to uh, have good relationship with all of them. But uh, when it comes to energy resources, well, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Iran, Iraq, these are all major oil producers that we know, and of course Qatar is the supplier of natural gas, and Oman as well, and not to forget Bahrain. So, I mean, if you live in Kuwait and you uh, list everything, I mean, it's like eight countries uh, surrounding the Persian Gulf region, that's going to be uh, uh, of importance for us, I mean, as it has always been. As far as the share of Japanese reliance on specific Middle Eastern suppliers mm-hmm. for oil and gas, my understanding is that Saudi Arabia is the top supplier, right. uh, followed by UAE. Mm-hmm. 
Where does Iran fit in that、mm-hmm. picture, with or without the sanction issues? I think,、mm-hmm. you know, Iran has a wealth of hydrocarbon resources, but perhaps、uh, its export presence、mm-hmm. may not be as prominent in an Asian、uh, import share. Well,、um, if you look back into history during the 1970s, slightly prior to the first oil shock, at one month、uh, Japan was relying on like 70 percent of its oil import from a country, single country, Iran. Of course, that、uh, gradually declined, and、uh, after the Iranian Revolution in 1978 to 1979, and all those strikes going on with the oil facilities, we had to reduce that sort of a dependence. And the war that followed from 80 to 88,、uh, the Iraq invading Iran and Iran pushing back, pushing the Iraqis back, that also had an impact on our reliance on Iranian oil supplies. But by year 2000,、uh, when President Khatami was in Place in Tehran, his government was、uh, kind of a reformist government that we thought that could、um, end its international relationship with, especially the United States and other Western states.、Um, we considered that we could rely,、uh, in, like just like in the past,、uh, even further、uh, towards Iran. So、um, in the early 2000s, we again、uh, lifted our oil to like 15 percent、uh, from Iran. But then, after following the 2002, those axis of evil issues, and、um, Iran being isolated because of the nuclear activities, now the first of all the sanctions, the United Nations sanctions had an effect. American sanctions had an effect, and also we do had a、uh, sanctions, a set of sanctions regime against Iran, so that、uh, reduced Iran's shares to like five to six percent. And that remained so even after、uh, the signing of the JCPOA,、uh, which followed by the 2016 to、uh, 17 period, where relatively we were in better terms with the Iranians、uh, politically and also economically, but still our reliance on Iranian、um, oil did not、uh, meet that I mean level of what it used to be, like 10, 15 years ago, and that remained that. And now we're seeing this、uh, enormous pressure from Washington, and that、um, it's not only about Japan, but the rest of the countries are placed under secondary would be placed under secondary sanctions of the United States if they are going to deal with the Iranians with their oil. And、um, since April, we have not been lifting a gallon or a barrel of oil anymore. So traditionally, there was a huge. Importance. I mean, still, Iran is itself is important, but when it comes to Iranian oil,、uh, the chunk of our oil came from Iran. That's no longer the case, and at this moment, it's come to zero. And during that period, we have substituted、uh, Iranian oil with others like Saudis, and possibly the Maratis. And that's one reason、uh, why we see today the、uh, share of the Saudis have exceeded that of the Maratis. During the 1990s, as I recall, Emiratis used to be the、uh, number one supplier of oil, followed by Saudi Arabia. But now it's totally the opposite, and by far Saudis are the largest oil suppliers for us. So that happened in the show, in the sidelines of uh, where uh, Iran lost uh, uh, its market here in Japan. And some of the Japanese companies have been interested in upstream involvement、mm-hmm. as well as you know being an offtaker. You know, even before the the reimposition of sanctions by the Trump administration,、mm-hmm. I think some of the European companies and Asian companies、uh, were exploring the chance to get back in.、Right. Um, would you say that this will just you know、um, prolong that wait and see period? Yeah, 
definitely the those who had been uh, involved in the past and also had still uh, an accept, expectation that uh, they could uh, be back in uh, the Iranian business were looking for an opportunity but we thought that we thought that the financial say system was not ready to actually support that sort of a deal given the american uh, sanctions not the secondary in those days but still the primary sanctions that forbid uh, us entities even banks to get themselves involved in any transaction with the uh, iranians uh, without getting a sort of a um, approval from the um, treasury which easily would not be able to uh, get for us i mean for easy for us to get so um, the idea still was that, okay, we're interested, Iranians, I, I personally believe that they were also interested to see us back, but uh, we were still uh, trying to say whether the condition and see when it would be appropriate and capable for us to act. And before that happened, the reimposition of the sanctions came first, so now we're really stuck. And you mentioned earlier that, for example, with uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, you know, hydrogen is another area for cooperation and collaboration. And going forward, for example, with Iran, other other than hydrocarbon, mm-hmm. you know, the direct you know oil and gas uh, trade relationship, mm-hmm. what's the potential that the Japanese companies see? Mm-hmm. Well, if you look around the Middle East, uh, Iran is sort of an exception. I mean, first of all, the size of this population, the level of the education of the people, educated people, and also the ability of, say, producing manufactured goods. They've traditionally had that. They've explored that with the help of the foreigners, and also they've explored that even further with their own, on their own during the days of the sanctions or the years of the sanctions. So they're quite capable in producing uh, or manufacturing uh, industrial goods. And we see that as one of the exceptional cases uh, in the Middle East or West Asia. Uh, if, we, if we, a far industry, would want to locate a production facility somewhere there. Speaking of uh, JCPOA, so how was the Trump administration's decision to leave JCPOA received by mm-hmm. the Japanese government mm-hmm. and as well as the industry? Well, I think not even us. I believe even the Europeans considered that after the uh, Trump administration's uh, inauguration, they would have a tough time. But still, they had this slight hope that they could talk him out of it. I mean, talk him out of the United States leaving JCPOA. But uh, that happened to be wrong. The assumption was wrong. And then uh, we had to face the consequences. Now that uh, the sanctions are back, I mean, of course, we, we, we don't welcome that sort of a condition, but uh, there is no way of us reversing the U.S. Uh, president's decision that has already been announced and signed. And uh, we're hoping that uh, someday the next administration or the future administration in the United States could reconsider uh, this current administration's decisions. So recently, uh, Prime Minister Abe visited Iran, and that was fairly soon after uh, Prime Minister Abe met with President Trump and had a a productive discussion on a range of issues. To me, that was quite remarkable in that, you know, Japan has had this, you know, close relationship historically with Iran, and uh, the Japanese Prime Minister is... Uh, taking a proactive initiative to mm-hmm. visit the country, mm-hmm. uh, which has gotten into a quite a contentious relationship with, with Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was, uh, in your view, 
What was the the primary aim of mm -hmm. uh, the prime minister's visit to Iran? Okay. Well, um, as the cabinet office has announced, um, well, it, the intention was not to actually mediate between the United States and Washington uh, and uh, Iran, but rather to diffuse the tension, you know, the try to de-escalate the momentum that had already started to begin from May onwards. But um, my guess, I mean, this is sort of a personal guess, is that since uh, Mr. Abe had been willing to travel to Iran since uh, early 2016, or even prior to that, I believe he always, or every time he had a moment to uh, discuss matters uh, with uh, the U.S. president, even with uh, President um, Obama, I think he floated this idea of himself traveling to Iran then he might have gotten sort of a cold, say, uh, answer, a not sort of welcoming answer from Washington uh, or from White House officials, and then he would have to um, have a second thought about his trips. Uh, I think this again was the case when uh, Mr. Trump was, the, uh, he was here with a state visit meeting our new emperor. And again, uh, during the conversation, whether either it would be it was on the golf course or whether it was be uh, whether it was over dinner, I have no clue. But again, he placed this floated this idea, and I think it came to him uh, to Mr. Abe himself as a surprise that Mr. Trump didn't object to it. And then all of a sudden, things had to be say discussed. I mean, all the preparation had to be I mean, uh, to be managed uh, prior to the travel. And of course, having a lot of the uh, state visits for, uh, for this month of uh, June, that's, uh, that's the G20 summits are coming. And I mean, there are so many um, in important uh, national events here. Uh, so that involves foreign dignitaries. So there had been little amounts of time or window for Mr. Abe to choose as an uh, say, adequate moment to uh, travel to Iran. And then he was in an extreme hurry. Our government was in an extreme hurry to match things, everything up, and also to negotiate with the Iranians for the preparation of it. So um, what I can tell is that eventually we were not ready, I mean, uh, for that sort of a meeting at this moment. It came as a surprise for everybody that it was going to happen and then happened. And the other part of the problem I see is that uh, Mr. Trump actually did not give a long leash. I mean, was, I mean, Mr. Abe actually did not have a sort of a freedom to maneuver and roam around and also to uh, choose whatever he wanted to discuss, rather than that he had been given, uh, in, either in writing or in oral terms, that uh, these messages had to be delivered or wanted to be de delivered on behalf of President Trump. It was his initiative, it was our Japanese government's initiative, but in the end we actually were not uh, behind the driving wheels. That's, a, that's interesting, but was it a success um, despite mm -hmm. the, the sort of a constraint, mm -hmm. uh, both the uh, you know, amount of time mm -hmm. that the Japanese government had to uh, get ready for this uh, level of a visit? Um, the government uh, tr uh, tried to pl uh, play down the whole issue of saying that this is not a mediation, this is about diffusing the tension. I thought that was a clever way of presenting it. But uh, when you look at what happened during his visit and the discussions or the meetings that he had with Ayatollah Khamenei and also with President Rouhani, 
Eventually, I, my conclusion as of today is that um, even for the diffusing of the tension, things that didn't work out well. Uh, simply one, because uh, Ayatollah Khamenei really didn't like what he was hearing from Mr. Abe's memo that he had in hand. He had a memo random in his hand, uh, which he was reading out from, and um, that was not really the case that you talk to a foreign leader, another foreign leader or counterpart. And um, there's no, I mean, he, I think, may have mistook our traditional friendship with Iran, that uh, he would be welcomed in a way, whatever he was trying to say or tell, on behalf of President Trump. So um, being just an errand boy uh, was not the best way to present uh, himself. And also from the, for the Japanese nation, I think it was sort of a disgusting moment to see that kind of a meeting. One of the comments that have caught my um, attention as a um, layperson uh, when it comes to uh, Iran uh, was that uh, the uh, Ayatollah mentioned uh, something to the extent that you know Iran has no intent of developing nuclear uh, mm-hmm. weapons, and no. and to the extent that a uh, um, you know, obviously Japan is the only country that was became mm-hmm. a victim of nuclear weapons attack mm-hmm. and has, you know, f- uh, for the longest time practiced the peaceful uses uh, and still, you know, uh, relies on nuclear power generation. You know, I, I thought that was, you know, obviously there was a message to the U.S., but I do wonder to what, to what extent if Japan is to uh, keep searching a unique role to, be, to play mm-hmm. uh, vis-a-vis uh, Iran, but perhaps still, you know, in this more of a multilateral discussion, including Washington, mm-hmm. whether you know peaceful uses is an area mm-hmm. where Japan may step up to do some sort of a not mediation, but some, mm-hmm. you know, constructive role or mm-hmm. bridging role, uh, yes, right, role. Right. Am I reading too much into this? No, no, not exactly. I, I would say that um, we are willing to cooperate with the Iranians, but with the secondary sanctions from the United States that have been either reinstated or added in the recent days, uh, things are really difficult for us to, I mean, to approach. And first of all, we, we, we've stopped, the, we've stopped the, terminated the crude imported uh, already. And above that, I mean, any sort of a nuclear cooperation, again, is to, going to be extremely difficult given the conditions that uh, lies ahead. Um, so, I mean, we are willing and we were willing, but uh, with the current conditions, I believe that it's going to be really a sort of a non-starter to discuss anymore. And I believe that the Iranians already have sensed that, that they have understood that Japan is not in a position to do anything that the United States objects to. Uh, so earlier, my suggestion prior to Mr. Abe's visit to Tehran was that at least we would have to mention or have to be uh, adamant in telling the Iranians as well as uh, the, uh, the American president that we are going to import Iranian oil, whatever Mr. Trump would tell us or demand us to do. And if they want to sanction us, go ahead. I mean, we have to be that straightforward. And then that, that would have, say, actually caught the attention of uh, the leadership in Tehran that we could act as at least a messenger, as a go-between, or maybe as a mediator of all these issues. So, but that didn't happen. So, um, Mr. Abe was there, most more or less empty-handed. 
I mean, the only ha- thing that he had in his hand was the stack of cards, um, yellowish cards, I believe, which had listed uh, the demands or the message from President Trump. To add insult to injury, uh, you know, there was, the, as far as timing goes, um, the there, you know, there were attacks on the oil tankers in the Strait of Hormuz. What was the impact of that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those attacks mm-hmm. on the overall sentiment, you know, surrounding uh, Japanese diplomacy mm-hmm. with uh, Iran and also vis-a-vis perhaps the U.S. Yeah, well, it happened in the most worst occasion. So um, that itself um, really raises the question: Who is actually behind this? Do the Iranians want to do this when their uh, leader is having this kind of conversation with Japan? Uh, we don't know. But also, I mean, the Americans and also the British are accusing Iran, uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, uh, behind this. That could be true, but uh, it actually doesn't answer the question why they had to do this. And also, there leaves still a room for questioning, which is the crew on board of the tanker as have testified, and so had, that was communicated to its owners here in Tokyo, that it was a flying projectile that actually hit their tankers. The attack was sort of a flying object and not a mine or a torpedo. So there is a total contradiction of the first-hand events with what is what we see here today, and also through the film that was <laughs> presented by the, uh, the, the DOD. Uh, thank you so much for your uh, insights. Uh, this was extremely uh, uh, educational and very helpful uh, for us to better appreciate how Japan sees the, the evolving or unfolding situation in Iran and in the Middle East related to Japan's uh, energy security, but also uh, just overall uh, diplomacy. All right. Thank oh, thank you. Thanks for listening. To find more episodes of Energy 360, look on CSIS.org or on iTunes. And of course, follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy.